1 John 4 is not where we're going to be, but I want you to see it. He says, do not be ignorant, but test the spirits. Test the spirits. And I love this because this is one of the moments like John where he writes after the fact about something he's saying. So I wanted to say it because you're about to see a part of what it looks like, and then we'll talk about it next week, but to test the spirits. And I'm going to roll this out as we go, but you'll see what is going on in this passage with spirits. And so just jump with me to 1 John 3, verse 18. I want you to see this. 1 John 3, verse 18, little children. I think this is the fifth, sixth time this far he's said this. This love, this care, this pastoral father heart. Do you know why? Because John has experienced the brotherly love from Jesus, so much so that he's called beloved, the beloved disciple, right? And so much what he's experienced is the father heart of God for him. And so what does a man who's probably in his 80s to 100s, who's written John, who's writing 1 John, 2nd, 3rd John, and will write Revelation. What does it look like for a man who's been so loved and overwhelmed by the love of the Father to care for and to speak into and help people that are younger than him? He acts like a dear father. A caring, gracious, loving, merciful, pastoral, shepherding, Father, just like his God. So he says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all So to connect with last week, we saw in verse 11, the command, the thesis of that section was, we should love one another. And then he specifies, not in mere words, not in like 300 times of you saying, I love you, with no actions that quantify or verify or show evidence for you actually loving that person. Not in mere words, but in genuine, in action and in truth. And truth means genuine, so genuinely love this person. And in action, sacrificial action. And I gave you this description of how love acts, and I'll say it again. And Joel Beakey says, a description of how love acts. Christ-like, spirit-produced love is giving oneself to glorify God and to do good to people graciously and righteously for the sake of friendship. That's what we're talking about. That's love. That's what we're seeing. That's how it acts. Love cannot be relegated to an emotion. Love is this comprehensive, affectionate, sacrificial action to do good to other people because that's what you've experienced from God. Right? When he said, you should lay down your lives for the people. That's what love looks like. And you're like, okay. But he roots it in what? Because Jesus loved you in such a way that he laid down his life for you. So love is giving yourself to do good to people. So love shows kindness. Love serves. Love is very practical and specific and actionable. And so we pray for others. 
It's how we love. We give generously to them with that food or water or medicine or clothing. We give our time and our labor to help others. This is what love actually looks like in practice. Not mere mathing words, but in action. In your community group, in your friendships, in this church, what does it look like to love your brother and sister? You show up when that person's in need and you just clean their house without asking them because you know the bent of their spirit is to always say no. I had a friend when Kayla and I first got married and he was still in college. Uh, we all were, but we were living in an apartment off campus and he would come over. And every time he'd come over, I'd be like, hey man, uh, do, do you want a snack? He'd be like, no. I'd be like, Macaulay, do you want a snack? I'd be like, no man, I'm good. Don't worry about it. And about five minutes later, I'd be like, Macaulay, you want that snack? He'd be like, okay, I'll take one. I'm like, why do I have to ask you three times every time to, when you come to my house if you want something? It's just because, so then I learned that about him, so I just keep going. I'm like, you want something to drink? Two more times. You know what I'm going to say. Just say yes, let's go. All right, I'm going to get you this drink because I know him. But this is what love does. It just moves towards other people and sacrificially helps them with their needs. So love has this outgoing, outward-facing, looking for how people can be served, how their needs can be met, and your answer is, yes, God has placed me here and loved me so that I can love these people. This is an action and truth. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he says this, in some ways we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother houses and land for the sake of the gospel than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure. But in service, we much experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. I, I think so much of the lack of love in us is so connected to we actually have to die in the action and we don't want to die to ourselves. It feels like these tiny little paper cuts at us that just cut at our soul and hurt us. And it's like, well, actually, I have to die for this person, die to my preference and die to the plan that I had for my time and die to this, this, uh, this ideal of what I was going to expect for my night or my weekend. I have to die to that and actually serve this person. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. Now, I don't want to uh, put those in opposition because I told you that a life of laying down your uh, life, too many lives, a life of laying down your life for others is this, is an adventure. It's an exciting, thrilling, exhausting adventure. But many times, laying down your life and loving others in practical action is going to feel like death. It's not going to feel like thrilling. It's going to feel like when you're dropping from the roller coaster less like when you're going up there you're like oh this is all fun you're like oh, my throat has my heart in it this isn't great or vice versa my throat has, yeah my heart that made sense i was worried that i said my heart has my throat in it and that would be a problem um but here we're saying that it feels like death to die and actually serve one another it does but that's what you've got if your Savior is Jesus. You're loved because someone died in your place. So it makes sense to us in this economics of the kingdom and the flow of the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, is that 
if it's death to our Savior to love us, then it's going to feel like death at the least to love others. So this, to be clear though, is not just a to-do list of six things of like how I'm going to love on a Monday. Love is more than bullet points. Love is a whole orientation of yourself outwardly looking to bless others. A whole orientation to live for the good of others. Indeed, to die if necessary for them. But typically, we don't die for others, but we live for others in daily sacrifice. That's what we're talking about. So again, we are not lords to be served, but loved children to love others. We are beloved lovers. That, that's the theme of First John. as Paul puts it in Galatians 5, this is faith working through love. Your faith in God, working out in love towards him and towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. So love in action truth. Don't miss this, because what he's saying, though, is that in our love for our brothers and sisters, assurance is planted in our hearts and flourishes. That that your love for your brothers and sisters is evidence that you are of God, that you have been loved by God, that you've been given a new heart by God because a new heart loves. A regenerated heart loves. When someone's been uh, born again by God, they love. And so if you love your brothers and sisters, see, that should give you another sense of assurance that God resides in you and loves you, and you know him. Which means our love in action and truth will reassure our hearts before God when our hearts condemn us. So we're going to just think about your daily, your weekly life as you stand before God. The Reformers called it quorum day, of living before the face of God. That's how all of your life is. God sees everything. That's what he says right here in this verse. God knows everything. But as we stand before God and our hearts condemn us, our love for others in the past or in that present moment gives us the assurance that we so desperately need. I have this kid on our baseball team and I love him because he's so kind, and uh, I, it's, it's six-year-olds, but it starts with coach pitch, and I'm coaching to him, and sometimes I make bad pitches, and to all the kids, I tell them I'm sorry, especially when we're in a game, I'm like, sorry, because they only get three for me, and if I make a bad one, that's, they only got two left, and I tell them, and you know what he says, like, in the games, out loud, like, it's okay, <laughs> I'm sorry for throwing that pitch, saying, it's okay, uh, and he's saying, we can't get this, yes, or someone says a word, and he's like, we're not supposed to say that. I'm like, thank you, Samuel. You're good. And little Samuel is such a blessing because he, he helps, you know, the team a little bit with their whole just center of morality and thinking about what should I be doing. But, but also Samuel's the, the person who tends to follow all the rules, right? And there's those of us that are like Samuel that really like following the rules. When there's a sign, when there's like even basic 
like expectations at a hotel. We like follow every single thing, you know, we're like, and the other person you're with is like, what, why? Why is this such a big deal to you? You're like, oh no, they posted it. I just feel like I have to do everything they say. Like we just lean towards that. If you lean towards that, I'll tell you, you may have a tender heart. And what happens with a tender heart is this. Your tender heart condemns you for missing the mark, for failing, for sinning, and it condemns you. That you, you have that bent towards following the rules, and so when you don't, your heart is like, how could you? How could you fail this? How could you not do this? To push it further, what John is saying is that when you sin or fail, you, you live in condemnation. That shame and guilt, that feeling of worthlessness and hopelessness, that this is who I am, I'm dirty, I'm unclean, I'm defiled, uh, there's no hope for me, this is where I'm at again, and just feel condemned by our very own heart. And what's wild on top of that is when we respond to our hearts condemning us, how we respond to our hearts condemning us so often is by more religion or by rebellion. So if you're the person that leans for the rules, your heart condemns you. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to get more tidy. I'm going to uh, get more things lined up, well, what this week is going to look like. And I'm going to muster up and make this happen. And then you hadn't kept God's rules. That's why you felt condemned in the first place. Now you can't keep your own rules, and so now you're condemned again. It just creates the pattern. Or you can go rebellious. And there's some of you guys like this. I, I could give a Another example of a kid from my teammate, but it'd be one of my children, so I won't. And so he, just kidding, but some of you are rebellious, where you feel like, hey, I crossed this line, my heart condemns me, I'll just go buck wild. I will not pull back, I will not stop, I will just give myself to every sinful desire I have, because I've already broken this dam, so it doesn't matter anymore. When we do this, we're not walking in love. Those two responses is not genuine love. Uh, it's self-love, right? Because we want to be able to nail down all the bullet points and execute them and look back at the end of the day and say, I, I did all these. feel pretty good. So what is that? Self-love, self-righteousness. If you go to rebellion, what is that? Sounds like more self-love. I missed one thing. I might as well do whatever I want and just go full head into all of the sinful stuff that's connected to this, and I can go. It's not what John would say, love for God. Because love for God looks like caring about him and caring about what he cares about and hearing him and loving what he loves and you know what he doesn't love he doesn't love your religious activities with a hollow heart and he doesn't love your rebelliousness what he loves is jesus and so he wants you to see jesus and love jesus like he loves jesus that's what he wants for us Some of you have the tender conscience. Others of you maybe don't lean on that side, but your heart has condemned you or it will condemn you because you've done such 
a terrible thing. It may be a one-off thing, but some of you guys have that, that moment in your past where you cross a line that you thought you would never cross, that you did something you can't imagine that you would do. And where you're at now is that you just think about that. And every time something good is happening in your life, every time you're thinking about talking to the Father, you're reminded of this epic, terrible event, this terrible conduct, this terrible sin that you did in your past, and it condemns you over and over and over again. Tells you you're gross. Tells you you're unclean. Where your heart is not something that you should trust and follow blindly, what happens is your heart actually becomes your prosecuting attorney who accuses you, indicts you, belittles you. Your heart be like, yes, remember this thing. You should feel terrible about this, and you should wallow in shame for this. And look how, can you imagine, can you think that a Christian would actually do something like this? And so it just belittles and demeans and prosecutes you. Or what I would say back to test the spirits, accuses you. Your heart joins in with the accuser and accuses you. But the good news is what John says, God is greater than your heart. He knows everything, everything about you. He knows you more than you know yourself. And he knows, even in all of your gross, defiling, unclean sin, or your tender conscience because you lean more towards the rules, in all of that, he knows you and he knows you are no longer condemned for you're in his son, Christ Jesus. So he knows. He knows, yeah, I've seen this. Yes, I know this about you. Yes, I'm aware. But, but you're in Christ. So Romans 8, 1 is your life, is your future. There is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He keeps going. You know what else God knows about you in Romans 8? He knows that you're more than a conqueror. You know what else he knows? He knows you're united to Jesus. So this means, just in the whole realm of thinking about this whole text, in the context, is that God is our judge, not our hearts. If I put you in the analogy, I'm putting your heart in the spot of prosecuting attorney. I'm not putting yourself on the throne or the judgment seat or the judge's chair because that's God. And he's greater than your heart. And he makes clear, true, specific statements about you in the courtroom of heaven. And what has he said? Not righteous. Righteous. There we go. You're declared righteous and adopted into the family. So not only does the judge say, you are walking clean free. You have been gifted the righteousness of Christ, and that's been put to your account. Also, get out of the courtroom with me. Come to my house, and you're going to be my child now. Let's do this. That's what this is. God is greater than your hearts. If you're in Christ, God is hasn't given you the spirit of accusation. He's been given you the spirit of adoption. So when you sin, don't listen to your heart. Don't beat yourself up because your Savior has already been beaten for you. 
Self-condemnation is wrong condemnation because it's not God's condemnation. Do you hear me? And you're like, well, but I can't forgive myself, or I, I can't show myself mercy, or I can't feel this. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Like, God is more merciful than all of us, even to ourselves. I get that, right? Because if, if I wanted the person on my baseball team, I wouldn't pick myself because I'm not a big fan of myself sometimes, right? But you know who's merciful to me? God. So this isn't going to be me judging who I am or where I'm at or how I stand with the Father, with other people. It is God is the judge, and I'm going to submit to myself what he said about me, not what I say about myself. You may still feel like, oh, I can't believe I did this. But you're going to believe what Jesus says about you, not what you say about yourself. I'm going to fight the prosecuting attorney in my body with the glorified, resurrected Savior who currently intercedes at the right hand of the Father with me, peeling and pleading his blood over and over and over again. God is greater than your condemning heart. You don't have to go rebellious. You don't have to go religious. You can go to the Father. But what can stop us from sinning? Because some of us, like, that's our whole Christian life, right? Is we put our hopes in sanctification or trying to stop sin by fear of punishment. Like, we use fear of punishment as the primary way to, like, not sin again. But that's not what stops us from sinning. That's not what stops us from loving more and more. Or what I've been saying throughout the series, a growing absence of sin and a growing presence of love. You know what does that? God's love for you and the Holy Spirit. That's what does that for you. So let me remind you of 1 John 3.1. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. One theologian said about 1 John that John is a master at revealing the Father heart of God. And I agree with him. See what kind of love the Father has. The Father enjoys you. The Father loves you. The Father welcomes you. See it. Look at verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Confidence. You think about this. So I told you John wrote the book of Revelation as well. Do you remember what it was like for John when he encountered Jesus? He fell down like a dead man. That's his experience when he's gifted the revelation of Jesus Christ and writes it down as the book of Revelation. And what he's saying is here, it's, no, we're going to stand confidently before God. That should shake you up a bit because almost every other biblical character, when they encounter God, they fall to their face, they feel broken for their sin, they're overwhelmed by his holiness, and they typically don't say nothing, just lie on their face on the ground. 
And he's saying, no, no, if our hearts don't condemn us, meaning the good news is applied to our hearts and we are believing that, that we are no longer condemned, that Jesus is our judge, not ourselves, then we have confidence before God. Confidence. You can feel condemned walking towards him or you can walk towards him with confidence. Usually in condemnation, do you know what we do in our shame and guilt and our wallowing? We run, but he's saying, no, no. Don't run away from God. Walk confidently to God because he's your father. How do my kids come to me when they see me at the house or when I come home or I'm off a distance and it's been a while? They run to their dad. Are they concerned about what I'm going to say to them? Are they concerned uh, uh, my posture? My, maybe if my face is telling something. But in, in general, they just see me light up and run to me. Why? Because they have confidence in my character that I'm going to love them. This is God to us. You have the confidence to walk in. Not to be scared, not to be hiding, not to be slowly creeping up to him or wanting to just run away from him. No, because of Jesus, you can walk towards him and say, Father, help me in this. I lack love. I want more love. I, I've, I've disregarded. I, I don't think I've sinned in commission a lot. I haven't done this thing against this person, but there's a lot of omission in my life, and I'm not loving as you've told me to love, and I'm just missing again and again and again. Lord, please help me and make me love like you love. And let me love the things that you love. I'm going there with confidence. If you have no confidence, you probably either don't know Jesus or you are a Christian who's forgotten who you are in Jesus. Confidence doesn't come from conjuring pride about what we've done in performance so that we can come to him based on our merits. Confidence comes from our relationship to Jesus. I can walk straight into the king's presence with no uh, wall blocking me, no distance in between us, no even invitation. If you think about Esther, Esther walking to the king, Artaxerxes, could have been killed because the, the rule for that era was that you only come into the king's presence if you're invited and she wasn't invited. you, child of God, are so loved by the Father, he is perpetually inviting you into his presence. Saying, come, with your weakness, with your sin, with your condemned heart, come. Come boldly before the throne. finish with verse 23. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. 
So just hold all of this intention. What is it to follow Jesus and what does he expect you to keep doing and keep doing? Well, these verbs are in the present tense. And so what he's saying is the command is that we keep believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and we keep loving one another. And if that's still simplistic, uh, then maybe you don't know Jesus because it is difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult in the face of so many doubts and competing worldviews to keep focused, believing in the name of the Son. And it's difficult to keep loving others when, oh, look at us. I mean, we, we hurt each other weekly, daily. We're unfaithful. We say we're going to do things. We don't do things. We lie and we gossip about one another. We hold bitterness, unforgiveness. But then you go to verse 24 and you go, oh, thank you. Because here's the good news. In the, the news of your condemned heart, the good news is that Jesus has already been beaten for you. So you don't have to beaten, be beaten. You don't have to beat yourself. But in this is in all this command to love one another and believe in Jesus, this is not asked of you from your own energy and power. It's asked of you because you don't have the spirit of accuse, uh, accusation. You have the spirit of adoption living in you. You have the spirit of God, the power of God in you and with you so that you can keep believing in the name of his son and keep loving one another. So you have in this text, again, the assurance. If you're feeling like you're wrestling with assurance, ask your question, ask yourself, is there genuine love that I can see for myself to my brothers and sisters. Practical in action love. And then, what do I believe about Jesus? Almost every chapter John has put the Christ question at our forefront. Like, what do you actually believe about Jesus? And then, last piece. Does the Spirit of God testify with your spirit that you're a child of God? That together, together is this beautiful help. Because sometimes you won't have two of the three in your life. Sometimes you may be really wrestling with something, but you have that one tangible evidence of, oh, yes, okay, I'm actually loving people. Because I can tell you, when I was 19, 20, 25, uh, I didn't, and third, no, just keep going. I didn't really love people. I was typically annoyed, exasperated, done with them. 
and I, I'm not bringing, I'm just saying God has changed me where I actually love people, care deeply for them, want the best for them, want to do good to them. Why? Not because I'm very great, because I know myself, because God has changed me and loved me in that way that now I genuinely love others. There's that evidence. What do I say about Jesus right now? I say he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is uh, fully man and fully God. And then what? What about the Holy Spirit? Is he testifying to you? Is he speaking to you? Or maybe just to put it confrontational at the end is, what team will you pick? Again, at baseball practice, put the kids into teams of two, and they had to pick their own partner. And I think we all know how that can be awkward, weird. You don't know the kids, but you want to find someone similar to you because I'm going to throw the ball, and I want you to be able to catch it, and I hope you can throw that guy. So I'm watching Owen puddle around, trying to find a friend, and so I just help him. My question is, in this partnership, in this choice, you, you get to pick teams in this moment. And will you side with the spirit of accusation or you side with the spirit of adoption who's in you telling you you're loved, you're a daughter, you're a son, you are mine forever. I'll hold you. I will keep you. I will not let you go. And you'll get to enjoy me and love your people, his people forever. What are you going to choose? Let's choose love. And if you're not a Christian, I'm also talking to you. The command clearly from this is that because of your hatred and your arrogance and your condemning heart, that you've probably done a lot of things to try to numb your heart. But your heart's going to keep condemning you. The way out of condemnation, the way to love and peace is through the way Jesus Christ himself. And John tells us, that's your command, to believe in the name of the Son, the Messiah, the second member of the Trinity. Father, I pray for this. I pray that you work this in us. You mold this in our hearts. And I pray for those that do feel condemned and broken and maybe doubting or despairing. And I pray that, I pray that they would, we would all take hold of your promise in Christ that you love us and that you paid the penalty for our sin by your death and you rose to justify us and reconcile us to the Father so that we could know the Father heart of God for us. And for those that need to be provoked, Spirit, I pray that you provoke them and lead them to Jesus. That they have a false assurance because maybe a, a false evaluation of themselves.
and those that are in you but have the condemning hearts, the kind of wreaking havoc on the internal conversation and their thoughts and feelings, Lord, I pray your spirit would speak to them your words. Your spirit would be poured into their hearts and they would feel your affection for them and know that you are the true judge and your creator than our own hearts and thoughts about ourselves. In Christ's name we pray, amen.